Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with Him. Now let's dive in. Okay, welcome back. We are in week six of Anything is Possible. We will be talking about Lazarus and uh, the miracle that was bringing him back to life today. But before we dive into that, just like last week, this week contains a special story, a special person in your life, in the life of our church, Dr. Osher. So um, Pastor Joby, can you tell us how you met Dr. Osher and a little bit about his story? Yeah, I think I just met him uh, from him attending church. He is uh, born and raised in Pakistan. He is a, a cancer research doctor. Um, he's working on a cancer vaccine, like where they identify cancer cells. And then, anyway, he's a very smart man at Mayo, does many smart things. Um, and he was he went in for like a, like a routine physical uh, a bunch of years ago, 20-ish years ago, and they found a mass, and he had cancer. And, I mean, talk about irony of ironies, right? And so uh, a part of the reason that he fights against cancer is because he says in the little place where he grew up, if you got cancer, you were dead in Pakistan. And so uh, he had a he had a successful surgery, and then it went into remission for like 15-plus years. And during that time, he had a son named Matthew, who's now, what's Matthew, like 16, mm-hmm. 17, something yeah. like that. <clears throat> and then in the past several years, the cancer came back. And part of the reason we put his story in this chapter is he calls these years that he's been given his Lazarus years. Because um, think about it, man. Lazarus is dead and then walks out of the grave. And what did he do with the second set of years that he'd been given? Because when Dr. Osher was initially diagnosed, he was only given like a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I mean, the way he talks about it, that that God held that cancer at bay for 15 years Mm -hmm. for him to accomplish some things. And so he doesn't want to waste any of that time. Yeah, he is truly inspiring. He is, we call we lovingly refer to him as one of our worship leaders here because every Thursday night, the moment you say, let's respond, after the sermon, he is down at that altar worshiping his face off. I mean, yeah. it is, it's incredible. So we'll circle back around to Dr. Osher towards the end, but um, we're going to talk about Lazarus today. And um, Lazarus is sick. Jesus gets word of it. Um, they want him to come. And there are these two truths that simultaneously exist. The first is that Jesus loves Lazarus. We know that he's one of his good friends. And the truth is that Lazarus is sick. So even though Jesus loves Lazarus, he still gets the diagnosis. He still gets sick. Why does it matter that these two truths can exist simultaneously? Uh, the problem of evil and suffering have has plagued humans' minds in their wrestle about how to understand an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God. And the way a lot of people have pitted these things against one another, I mean, like very, very famous atheists are, if God loves us and he can do something about our situation, then how do you explain sickness? And um, John chapter 11 gives us a whole bunch of insight into the heart of God 
his eternal purposes and our current situation. Mm -hmm. And two things can be simultaneously true. Jesus can love Lazarus and Lazarus can get sick. Anything you'd add to that? So you talk about Romans 8, 28, God is at work in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And you write that God is the subject, not the things. It doesn't say everything works for a reason. What is the difference and why is it so important? Well, God doesn't drive an ambulance. He's not uh, running a cleanup service, Mm. responding to all of the things that happen. He is preeminent. He is the instigator. A very uh, often misquoted verse is from Genesis 50 where Joseph looks at his brothers. Now, he has been, I mean, he's been through the ringer, man. They beat him up. They sold him into slavery. He gets accused of rape, though he didn't do it. He gets put in a prison, forgotten about there. I mean, it's not a good journey. And then when he finally gets restored and he's... And the entire time, he's God's chosen deliverer of Israel. Oh, yeah, four times it says, and the Lord was with Joseph. If I'm Joseph, I'd be like... God, can you go be with somebody else yeah, for a so minute? Yeah, so again, we see the two things existing <clears throat> right, simultaneously. Right, I'd be like, man, can you leave me alone, please? Because this ain't, <laughs> you know, so. But he's a man of character. He knows who God's called him to be. So he finally, he's the like VP of Egypt, and he's reunited with his brothers, and he looks at them, and they think, oh, he's going to kill us. And he says, am I not in the place of God? Now, here's this is what's key. He said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. He doesn't say God used for good. Mm. That God intended that those things were going to happen. He's not playing second fiddle, man. Mm. And I, I don't know how you reconcile those things. That God intended human trafficking and false imprisonment and false accusations of rape and domestic violence. Yeah. Yeah, because he's sovereign. So, um, I mean, we even sing a worship song, and it says something like, you take everything and turn it for good. Nope, that's not what it says. That's not what it says. It's not like God does a magic trick, and you start, and then he like, and works it out. That's not how it works. It. Yeah. So a lot of what happens is you, you hear the stupid phrase, well, everything happens for a reason. There's some people that think they're quoting Romans 8.28. They are not. Mm. The things are not the subject. Right. God is the subject. You looked like you were going to say something. No, I just... The, the, the way that we look at that, there's a difference between God's response versus God's intention. And God is not responding to evil. He's not caught off guard. He's not fighting on his heels. Right. He's intending. The enemy is fighting on his heels. Actually, he's already lost. He's fighting on his back. But God is not responding. He's not surprised. Oh my goodness, I didn't see that happening. Let me... Mm -hmm. Actually, it says in the Psalms, it says, God put Joseph in iron fetters. Mm -hmm. Think about that for a minute. His anointed, appointed deliverer, he imprisons for something like 12 or 14 years. That's a long time to sit there and go, God is with me. Oh, but I can't walk because my feet are bound in bronze fetters. Mm -hmm. And yet the entire time, the entire time, He's, he's the appointed deliverer of Israel. Job, God says in, in the book of Job, God says that Job was righteous and blameless three times. Blameless. God says that about Job, and yet he still allows what 
happened to Job. Mm. I I don't I can't wrap my head around his sovereignty. I I just I can't. I just choose to believe. Going back to then the last podcast when we talked about the process from belief to knowing. Mm. I just choose. I just absolutely choose because I can't make sense of it in my own rational mind. Mm. And I don't want to. I know we're going to talk about this, but it doesn't mean he loves it. It doesn't mean God. Mm. I mean Jesus in this instant knows how the event ends, and he cries. Mm. Yeah. So could God just feed all the people on the planet right now? He could. He doesn't. He's sovereign over it. It doesn't mean he's into it. Mm. It doesn't mean he, he's like finds some kind of sick pleasure in it. Mm. That That's a false statement too. That's good. Yeah. So Jesus doesn't go to Lazarus for two full days, and his sisters, who are also some of Jesus's good friends, have to watch their brother die. Why is it so hard for us when our belief and God's cooperation and our circumstances do not line up? I mean, our finiteness, you know, I mean, we can only see what we can see. And I think we all run the risk, I do this all the time, of um, running my prayer request through the filter of what I would do mm. if I were God. It's a dumb thing to even say because, I, of course, I don't know what I would do because I don't know all the things in all of eternity. You know, I don't yeah. hold the whole world in my hand. I don't do any of those things. So, I mean, it's probably similar except to a greater degree when when you're a little child. How old is she? She's a year and a half. Okay. So she, in her little developing brain, when she doesn't get what she wants, she must look at you like, what is? Yeah. What are you doing? The what worst. are you doing? <laughs> and obviously, if you gave her what she wanted, when she wanted it, the way she wanted it, she wouldn't make it. And now she thinks if she says, please, we just learned this, <laughs> then she'll get it. So it's that oh, it's which preach. I was about to say that's kind of yeah. even that's like oh may if I beg God really earnestly or I find the, the secret prayer in here right right yeah Remember the secret when the, word when the prayer Jabez came out and everybody I don't think that's what the author intended right. it was a pretty good book but everybody turned it into like the tickle me Jabez thing right. and if you like did it just the right way <laughs> then he's gonna and only and people were only praying to expand my territory. They weren't praying any of the other parts of the prayer of Jabez. Yeah. It was just like, can I get that bigger house and a jet? Yeah. And that book, I mean, I should not, I am, I should not be critical at all of any, and I'm not. But that thing sold tens of millions of copies. Oh my gosh, tens of millions. And now, granted, it did lead a lot of people to pray who are otherwise not praying. So, forgive me, Lord, if I'm off. <laughs> Um, you have a quote on page 128. It says, spend a little less time informing God of the situation and a lot more time listening or letting him saturate you in his word. And Dr. Osher said, we did this um, anything is possible digital experience. There were a lot of elements to it. One of the elements was sitting down with both Ike Brown and Dr. Osher. And Dr. Osher said this quote, and I, I mean, I repeated it in that digital experience and I have repeated it so many times since. I can't get over it. He said, and we just mentioned this man is dying from cancer. He, every Thursday night, you can tell some nights he is crawling to church just to be in church. And every single Thursday night he is at that altar. And he said this quote, I don't go to the altar for a cure. I go because I am here and he deserves my worship. And I just thought mm. that is the posture 
that we should all approach the altar with in our prayers. And that, and then when I read your quote in this book, spend a little less time informing God of the situation. Like he knows the situation. Instead, sit back and listen. Well, so, well the ahead. disciples try to tell Jesus what's going on here. Okay, yeah. he's like, all right, boys, um, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep and we're going to go see him. And then the disciples say to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will wake up. And like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, you're missing. <laughs> cool. You know? But we do it, right? We're like, oh, Lord, there's this thing called the stock market. I don't know if you're aware, but I'm taking a beating right now, and I need your help. I mean, I'm always amazed at the people that, um, like before a mission trip, those kinds of things, you know, be like, let's go to the Lord in prayer for direction. But never listen. Never. You do all the talking. Right. Even well-intended prayers. Like For sure. You look at someone like Dr. Osh and you think, you have every right, quote-unquote, to go to that altar and beg God for a cure. And even that well-intended prayer, it still isn't the deepest place that God wants us to go with him. Mm-hmm. So how can our prayer life, what can we learn the disciples talking with Jesus and as we're talking about prayer and your circumstances, how do we approach the Lord when our circumstances aren't lining up with what we think our timing should be? Well, we see both Mary and Martha like pour their souls out to Jesus. They have very seemingly very different personality types. Mm. So I'm not saying you don't pour out your heart and soul to Jesus. You just need to make some room to also listen. Mm. Now, one of the key ways to hear what he says is to read the Bible. But what I'm talking about, like, specific things, direction you need, um, it's amazing to me when I ask people, have you prayed about it? I'm like, yeah, I prayed. I'm like, all right. Have you had some, like, serious meditating on the Word, mm-hmm. shut your mouth and open your ears and be like, Lord, you promised in John 10 that, that you're a good shepherd and I'm your sheep, and you said that I would recognize your voice, mm-hmm. which means you must be talking to me. And anything and everything you tell me to do can only lead to abundant life. Right? Mm. What is that? Like when you've got a big decision at work or, you know, all those kinds of things. It is available to us. Mm. And yet, I mean, John Piper says, he says the sad thing about the comforts of Western Christianity is that we have traded in prayer from being a walkie-talkie in a war zone calling for more supplies to an intercom in the house asking for some more sweet mm. tea. Oof. Well, that's good. Yeah. Charles, mm. anything you'd add? You're a praying man. One of the things I have in the last couple of years tried to get my heart to this place or tried to offer my heart to the Lord so that he could do a thing in me to bring my heart to this place is the place that, and I don't, I don't always get here. Okay. So I don't have the monopoly on this, but Job eventually looks at the Lord and says, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Another translation says, yet will I hope in him. So somehow something happened in Job's Revelation. He had a right revelation. I've heard of you of the hearing of the ear. Now my eye sees you. So when he saw God most high for who he really is, all of these questions, all of these mm-hmm. peripheral, peripheral things 
fell away. And the truth of who God is and the truth of who Job is in light of him came together in that moment. And Job was able to say, look, even if you kill me, I'm still going to worship you. Mm. And I, 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 want, I, I want that heart. I, I, want that, I, I pray that for us, for, for, for my family, for the, that, that our heart would be in a posture and a place of worship independent of our circumstances. And I realize that's hard for us as people to get to. I realize we are buffeted by the pain and the hardship. I, I get all that. I'm, I, I too am guilty. But how beautiful a, an incense of worship it would be before the throne if we could if we could humble ourselves or get ourselves to a place that whether it is blessing or whether it is hardship and pain that my hard hearts are steadfast and though he slay me yet what I hope in him that's one but I have prayed that mm-hmm. Lord please do that thing in me and Martha and Jesus have a similar conversation when she runs to meet him and Martha is smart and driven and has the right doctrine. But she is in this moment desperate. And I'm kind of, I'm not, I'm, this isn't in scripture, but the way I see it is she's, she can't look beyond her circumstances in this moment. And so they, so her and Jesus have this very important conversation before he raises Lazarus from the dead. And what is this conversation and why is it so important? Well, one is she's very honest. Lord, if you'd have been here, my mm-hmm. brother would not have died. He, I mean, she is saying, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And apparently it's okay to do that to the Lord, right? Um, and then, like you said, man, she's wired differently. They end up having a theological dissertation about resurrection. Mm-hmm. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, what's interesting, <clears throat> when, when he says this, I am the resurrection and the life, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's If she were only focused on the here and now, she could be thinking that he's talking about Lazarus. Mm. But she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So, But here's what's very interesting. So they have this theological dissertation that helps her heart somehow. Um, and I have had those, you know, somebody loses a loved one or something and they're like, I just don't know why this would happen. And I will often say, I can tell you why. I don't know that it'll help you at all right now, but at some point, maybe if you want to talk about why these kinds of things happen. And we do go back to those five points of suffering, you know, mm-hmm. where this thing could be coming from. <laughs> and sometimes people are like, yeah, yeah, intellectually, I need to wrap my mind around some of this. Okay. So this seems to be how she's wired. But what hits me is she says, yes, Lord, I believe. He says, do you believe? Yep, I do believe. Okay. In a little while, we're going to see if she really believes. Because after he talks to Mary, then they go to the stone, to the tomb, and he's like, roll away the stone. And, and then she doesn't believe. Mm-hmm. She's like, what do you mean? Lord, he stinketh is how the King James <laughs> says it, right? Yeah. So it's like when the rubber hits the road, the way... What it makes me think about is it sure is easy to believe when we're sitting in that room. I'm pointing toward the worship center, right? You're three quarters of the way through the sermon. You three good songs is just played. You got another doozy coming up, and you believe. But then, when it comes time to be obedient and do what Jesus tells you to do, 
even and especially if it seems impossible, roll the stone away. What do you bring there? Excuses or your relief? Right. Yeah. So he has another convo with Mary that looks very different from Martha's, which points to how Jesus meets us right where we are. And so what is his conversation with Mary? What's the nature of that conversation? Um, it's very emotional. <clears throat> Mary says the same thing. If he had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then the shortest verse in the whole Bible. And Jesus wept. So I, I think this is in, incredibly informative to the culture that we live in right now, okay? Um, there will be something that happens in our world that will significantly impact a part of the body of Christ different than it impacts other parts of the body of Christ, okay? Some tragedy, something. And let me tell you what Jesus does not do. Paul says in Romans that we are to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. He doesn't come in and in, in lead, his lead foot is not, well, let's get all the facts. Like, how did he die? Was it neglect? Was, was it his fault? No, 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 no. A part of what we are called to do, particularly, man, when people face tragedy or face a thing that just triggers a, um, just an outpouring of emotion, Jesus just sits down with her and cries with her, man. Mm. And here's what's crazy. He knows what's going to happen. How long, how long is Lazarus in the grave? What do you, wait, 30 minutes, 45 minutes? The Bible doesn't say. But there was some time period. And look, I'm a giver of good news. I, when I know something, I cannot keep it in. I can't keep it to myself. You know what I mean? I'm the worst. <clears throat> and yet, I think a part of what's happening here is when God gives his name to Moses in Exodus 3, and he says, my name is Yahweh, I am that I am. It's a hard English translation. It literally means to be, or I be that I be, or it's just the eternal state of the present. Mm. That's who God is, because there's no past and future for an eternal God. He is the eternal now. And so, even though he knows how the whole thing ends, he can still weep with you authentically. Mm. I mean, Revelation says he catches our tears in a bottle. What the heck? Mm. What is that? So, sovereignty does not negate God's father's heart for his kids, mm, man. That's good. He cries when they cry, hurts when they hurt, and he rejoices when they rejoice. Mm. Right after that, the critics open their mouths and they say, see how he loved him. Some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So there's the argument from evil. If he was really good and if he really loved yeah. you, he wouldn't have let you die in the first place, which is, you know, back in the temptation in the desert, if you if you are really God. So that that's the whole, evil wants to question his goodness continually and uses circumstances to do that. His goodness is not dependent upon circumstances. He's just good. So is it okay to question God? It depends on the nature of that question. 
Is it okay to ask God questions? Absolutely. Mm. Is it okay to somehow subvert the authority of God? Absolutely not. Mm. Those are two very different things. That's good. But he can handle it. I mean, the Psalms are like, uh, where are you? Mm. Where are, are you ever going to show back up? I mean, these are the kind of things that the David and the Psalm writers carried along by the Spirit write down as, and it's supposed to be like the highest form of prayer in our Bible or the Psalms. So there's lots of that. I mean, Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, three times, Mm -hmm. Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. And he doesn't get rebuked. That's different than, are you really in control? Mm -hmm. I think there's been, at least in some of the circles I grew up in, there was this thing that um, you couldn't voice your hardships to the Lord. You just had to. You just would never. You just wouldn't do that. And I. I don't know what that grew out of, or what I don't know. But I've come in my own life because of my own experiences and what hardship I have known. I have taken those things and I have shouted at the Lord. And I think He's okay with that. I think He can handle our shouting. Now I believe my heart is inclined to Him. I think I'm shouting, and I have been shouting out of pain, not in some place of trying to say he's not who he is, but just because he's big enough to handle my questions. Mm. And plus, where else am I going to take him? Yeah. I mean, to quote Peter, only he has the words of eternal life. So I just, I just, I think we as, we ought to, we ought to encourage one another, even in our deepest, most difficult places of pain and hardship, take all that steaming mess to the Lord, no matter what it sounds like, he's big enough to handle it. But then when you're done venting, It'd be really good if you sat there a while and let him answer you. So a very famous verse, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And right before that, it says he was deeply moved and greatly troubled. So what do we learn here about emotions? Uh, Emotions are a gift from God. Ecclesiastes 3 mentions all kinds of different emotions based on the circumstances that you find yourself in. And it it calls them seasons, and it says there is a season for everything under heaven. There's a time to cry, and there's a time to mourn. There's a there's a time to to laugh. Here's here's what I've found: when it's time to cry and mourn, if you don't, then when it's time to laugh and rejoice and dance, you can't. Mm. But we're not supposed to be lorded over by our emotions. Emotions are a tool, not not our our Lord. Speaking of emotions, can you tell about the daddy-daughter retreat and how <laughs> I just think, well, we've talked about parenting a bit in the past few episodes, um, but I just love what you say about dads and daughters, and I think everyone needs to hear it. Yeah, so I don't know who the first person to coin the phrase, um, I just need to be strong for you, and... It's typically in a time of loss or whatever, and they are equating a lack of emotion with strength. Who said that? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Jesus is the strongest man to ever live, right? Ever, ever, ever. And he's the manliest man. I mean, the flogging that he takes and yet can still put the cross beam of the cross and and towed it almost all the way to Golgotha by himself, okay? 
He's a man's man. And he's got no problem shedding tears Mm -hmm. when it's the appropriate time. So the thing you mentioned, we were writing the book um, at our retreat center. We hosted a daddy-daughter dance, and one of the things that we do, or a daddy-daughter retreat, it's a multi-day retreat, and we get all dressed up and do a dance, and at that dance, uh, dads have written their daughters just some encouraging words. Because here's the thing, man. All words aren't weighted equally. Mm. And this isn't fair, but just because of the design of God, dad's words weigh the most. Facts. Period. I'm not saying they're the wisest words. He might not be the smartest in the house, but I'm just telling you, dad's words weigh a million pounds. Mm -hmm. And particularly to little girls especially in a world that's get, where they're getting lied to every day. Mm-hmm. And the lie is, if you're not beautiful, you're not lovable. And the definition of beauty has been changed into mm-hmm. a, a, a comic book icon. I mean, the actual women that they take pictures of can't even live up to their own pictures because right. everything is so altered. So, <clears throat> man, every dad writes this letter to his little girl. It, I think... I can't remember the ages. It must be like 8 to 12 years old or something. Mm -hmm. And we sit knee to knee. There's a ring of dads and daughters around us. Did you go first? I went last. (laughs) And to the man, every single man, he gets about three lines in, man. He's just a big old, I mean, just got the wobble chin going and tears. And the daughters, are. some of them don't even know how to (laughs) respond. You know what I mean? Reagan loves it, just her being in the middle talking about her she loves that a lot <laughs> and so <clears throat> but here's the thing man that's not a that's not a sign of weakness mm-hmm. what could be stronger and in fact if more men would be humble enough and moved enough to shed some tears particularly to their daughters mm-hmm. then we wouldn't be getting it handed to us by the enemy when it comes to the state of Christian daughters in this mm-hmm. world. Yeah, for sure. Anything you'd comment on with our emotions and how to navigate them? I think I, I do. They are absolutely a gift from the Lord and they do help us. They're kind of, they can kind of be like curbs. Sometimes you sort of have to bounce off of them to figure out what straight, which, which way the road is going. And I get that. They, and you've said this a bunch, they, they make a terrible Lord. And I think we see this with David in the Psalms, because especially when you get to about Psalm 30 and onward, how many times does David command his soul? Mm-hmm. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And it's almost as if he's stepping outside himself, looking at himself, saying, look, yo, dude, why are you so downcast? And then he commands his soul. So there's, I don't know, there's probably a healthy place. I don't want to, sometimes we just do need to grieve, Um you're right. I think if we don't let the tears out, it becomes something else and it'll come up somewhere mm-hmm. sometime at some point, maybe as something different, anger, whatever. But the purging of that emotion is healthy and good. And But there also comes a point at which they don't govern and they're not Lord over us. And we have to stop, pause. Lord, this, you're, you are who you say you are, independent of how I may feel in this moment. You still are who you say you are. Yeah. 
Well, we know both of you cry all the time. Were you <laughs> always like that? Or is that something you've grown to be more in touch with your emotions? I cry all the time. <laughs> There's only certain things, you know? It's not like like sad movies. or yeah, I'm yeah. not an emotional person when it comes to that sort of stuff. But there are just some... Um, there's some people in my life that I love like crazy, and and it it'll get me all choked up. And if I talk about God saving me for too long, I'll get all choked <laughs> up. I just do, man. Yeah. I just don't. I'm not afraid of it. I guess maybe in my, you know, I don't lack for confidence a lot. I, there are many things I am not. I got it. I know I got, it. but I. Like, I know I'm a tough man. Mm. Physically, all the things. You know what I mean? So I got nothing to prove to anybody. Mm. And uh, so if emotions come, okay. Mm. It's just because I take it very seriously. I mean, this the word here um, in Greek, it's more like Jesus snorted and groaned. Mm. He's pissed. At death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to be here, man. Mm-hmm. It's not. Um, I had a bit of that in me as a kid. Like, I'd fight. Oh, I fought a lot. But I would, I would like, win, but I'd be crying. I'd get so mad. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. And this is what, this is a part of what he's doing here, too. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, it's not just sappy. Yeah. Um, I've shared it before. JP kind of had a moment like this recently. I don't know. We talked about the downfall of a generation via iPhone a couple of weeks ago or whatever. <clears throat> he's on his way to school and uh, he's the like pole position at the light about to turn left. Somebody runs a red light and he witnesses this car get just T-bone, flips it on its side. Have I told you this? No. And it, it slides. It's like 30, 40 yards just, you know, slides. Immediately, he says, Reagan, stay right here. Puts his car in park. Hauls it across the across the the intersection, and there's four nurses on their way to Mayo. He's like, "Dad, there's blood everywhere. They're, they're screaming. It's freaking mayhem, right?" Well, the car is flipped up on its roof, and he's trying to get the door open, and he, you know, it's kind of crinkled up. And he's like, "Dad, it was me and this grown man. So we get it. And we're like, you know, after about five shoves, they get the door open." The, the two people in the front climb out themselves. The lady in the back, her leg's broken, and she's still hanging upside down in the from the seatbelt, just blood everywhere. They're screaming. So um, he helps her get her seatbelt off, just bloom, she's the ground. He brings her out, trying to help her. And he's like, Dad, I looked around, and there's adults all the way around in a circle, and everybody's just videoing. Right. And he's like, he starts to get worked up. Oh, my god! And he's like, Dad, what's wrong? Mm. I'm 17 years old. I'm a kid. And me and one person are helping. Everybody else is just looking at their phone. Wow. And then he's like, they were, they are. And I was like, you can say it. And he's like, they were. And he said <laughs> two bad words. But in that context, we'll call them wimps. I was like, you're absolutely right. In wow. that moment, boy, they were sheep and you were a man. That's right. Okay. So he was like, what is wrong with this world? All right. 
Because when he saw a need, he ran to it. Okay. Something that moves me is, um, man, there are lost and dying and hurting people, right? And a part of the reason our church has grown to the place where it has grown is when we see it, man, as a team, we go running to it going, what do we need to do to save these people? Jesus saves, but you understand what I'm saying. And I feel like there's a whole population of Christians that in a dying world just got their phone out, like oh. just videoing it instead of getting your hands dirty to go do do yeah. something about it. So I was asking Reagan about it. This is how you know it's real. Reagan is 13, her brother is 17. And I was like, RC, so what happened on the way to school? And she just looks at me and was like, Dad, JP's a hero. Aww. Yeah, man. Yeah, that'll get you all joked up. Totally. <laughs> totally. Um, so, Charles, can you give us a picture of what happens after Jesus has these conversations with Mary and Martha? They go to the tomb, and what happens when they get to the tomb of Lazarus? Well, Jesus weeps, but I agree. I think he's, he's it's an angry cry, and I think he's angry at death. And um, I, I love that picture. I love the humanity of Jesus on display for all of us, even when he knows how it's going to play out. Mm. Um, Martha says, Lord, he's been in there four days. He probably stinks by now. And she's waffling on the faith she showed just two paragraphs ago. Yes, Lord, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God. It's a beautiful confession. But then when they actually get to rolling the stone away, she's... Like, well, well, I believe you are the resurrection and the life, but the one to come. And Jesus is like, just excuse me a minute. Let me do what I <laughs> came here to do. Um, and, then he, and then he cries out. And I didn't understand this until a couple of Israel trips ago. We actually went to Bethany and to the tomb that they believe was Lazarus's tomb. And there's a lot of good reasons for why they believe that. But I didn't understand because it's very different than the garden tomb the garden tomb was used once and then given back to its original owner. Um, Lazarus' tomb was probably a familial or family tomb and was used by hundreds of people. So if Jesus had not not called Lazarus by name, the, an entire village of generations of <laughs> villagers would have walked out, you know, praising the name of Jesus. And It'd be like Thriller. Right, it would have, <laughs> totally. Uh, so he didn't, he calls Lazarus and... Um, you're the one who painted this picture really well for me, but this is what Jesus does with every single one of us. Every single one of us is encased in a tomb wrapped in dead man's clothes. And regardless of whether or not we have great theology or not, it says Jesus loved Lazarus. I would be willing to believe and bet Lazarus knew full well who Jesus was and is. Mm. Probably had perfect theology, much better than ours. And yet he's dead. <clears throat> and he doesn't come alive until Jesus walks up to the tomb and says, Lazarus, come out. And this is, as I have grown in my understanding of what the grace of God is, and I, I don't believe grace is a right, 
semantically, we use the word grace, G-R-A-C-E. And I think when we say it, if we could have this Scottish accent, it would be much better. We'd trill the R and it would just sound better. But the word that we have for grace doesn't quite encompass what it is. Mm. It's probably more like the covenantal name that we read about in, of God Most High in Exodus 34, where he uses the word hesed. We don't have a word in English that that accurately translates hesed. We need about five words, mercy, loving kindness, long-suffering, all that sort of stuff. Grace is the same thing. It's it's probably bigger. It's it's unmerited favor. It's It's limitless kindness. It's being given something that you don't begin to deserve. Mm. And we see we see this poured out on Lazarus. We see this poured out on everybody who's watching. But it later in the writings of Paul, we'll see this. And he'll use little phrases like, because of him, we are in Christ Jesus. Well, that because of him is the lavish grace of God that Joby likes to call the freight train of grace, mm. which we're working about, working on now. But it's... Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he made you alive. Well, what did the dust do? What did Lazarus do? Nothing. All the initiation rested on the shoulders of Jesus who walked up to the tomb and said, excuse me, I'm trying to get my buddy here. Lazarus, come on out. (laughs) Yeah. So I love the picture from, I love the picture for the event that it was, the true story that it is. But I also love the picture that it paints for us because he calls our name. And until he calls our name, let's like Mary, you said this this past weekend and looking at the resurrection. Mary, Mary has perfect theology. She knows everything about Jesus. She knows she's watched him live a sinless life. She watched his public ministry. She watched him wrongly accused, um, arrested, mercilessly treated hung on a cross, dead, buried. She knows everything rightly. She can't see him. She's two feet from the breath of God. And then he calls her name, Martha. And I just, this is a, this is the picture of us when, you know, when he, and I, I, this is now my prayer for people. Lord, would you just call their name? Mm. Would you visit them with your salvation? There you go. So my one more, the way I'm praying now for my one, Lord, would you just call his name? Mm. Would you just please part the heavens, Pull back the clouds, and would you just speak out across the stratosphere and call his name? Thank you for that. I needed that. So I bet a lot of people are thinking this is, we can learn a lot from this event that happened, of course, but how can this apply to my life today? The question you ask in the chapter is, what stone do you need rolled away? What does that mean? Yeah, man. It, uh, what is the thing that G- you say you believe in Jesus? What is the thing that he has told you to do that you haven't done? Hmm. Because of fear, because it doesn't make sense, because you think it's impossible. So one of the things that I appreciate so much about all these miracles we're looking at, Jesus doesn't need any of us to do any of these miracles. And yet, he invites people to participate in the miraculous. Because think about it. If they don't roll the stone away, what good is Lazarus being alive? The dead man behind a rock doesn't last very long. He's going to be dead again real quick. Yeah. If they don't pass the food out, nobody gets fed. If they don't dip the ladle into the water and take it to the master's ceremonies, nobody knows it's turned to wine. I mean, over and over and over, we see 
God's like a good dad and he likes to take his kids to work, even though they really just kind of get in the way. He mm. could be more efficient without us. But he, when you think about it, like when he makes Adam and Eve, man, he he doesn't need them to subdue and cultivate. He could have just handed it to them, subdued and cultivated. Mm. But he doesn't. He's like a part of what it means for you to be an image bearer of me is we're going to work together. Mm. That's true in the miraculous too. So can God save your friend without you praying for him? Well, yeah, but then there's also this weird way prayer works, which I can't. You try to explain this for a minute, and you're just on a merry-go-round of like theological terms. There's some things that even though God has preordained them from the beginning of time, but also by the Spirit of God, he has told you to pray about it, and he is sovereign. You don't tell him what to do. But if you don't pray about it, he ain't going to move and it ain't going to happen. Okay. So how does that work? I just told you how it works, which means I don't know. All those things are true at the same time. (laughs) But he's like, come on, man. Keep praying for your friend. Keep praying for your friend. Keep praying for your friend. Roll that stone away. Yeah. So so what is that for you? It could be invite your one more. It could be make the phone call to begin the process of reconciliation that you think is impossible. Mm -hmm. It could be begin, begin the process of forgiveness. Forgiveness is unilateral. Nobody has to play with you. You can unilaterally forgive somebody. What is it, man? It it could be you know that God is calling you to be radically generous. You know it, man. This thing happens on the inside of you, and you try to like, no, 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 I can't do that. I'm saving money for whatever I want. You know, whatever the thing is. What is that stone? And on the other side of that stone is laying a miracle, Mm -hmm. and you'll never see it until you take a step of obedience to roll that stone away. It's a resounding theme. In these miracles. Totally. It's like you, we have to hear things more than one time to understand them. Um, so what do we tell people who are still walking around in their grave clothes? They don't fit, man. <laughs> they don't fit. Take them off. I love that. I love it that it's the first thing Jesus says. Yeah. Because he's... And I, there's a, I do wonder why. There's a lot of things that Jesus could have said. But he says... The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Well, he's not that man. He's not that dead man. So dead men don't, I mean, live men don't wear dead men's clothes and don't go walking around in, you know, 120 pounds of wrapped cotton or whatever, linen or whatever it might have been. I just think it's 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 the invitation from Jesus to come to me. I'm making all things new. You are not the person that you once were. You don't have to act like you once did. You're not identified by that, whatever, whether it was the, the adultery, the abortion. The, I don't name the thing that causes and brings shame to people. Jesus would say, "Wait a minute. That that's not how I identify you. Right. You're my son. You're my daughter. Those things don't. They, they 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 do not tell you who you are. I am. Mm-hmm. So take those things off." The thing I can't wrap my head about around in this story is are the next two sentences. I can't, I would like to think that had we been standing at the tomb, this would not have been our reaction. <laughs> Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Great. Okay. I pray that that's us. Verse 46. But so, I, don't, I, I don't even, I don't, I don't hate it. You just saw a dude four days dead and stinking walk out of a tomb. 
And the one who raised him to life is standing there in front of you. And yet you want to go tattletale. And, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Lord, please don't, please don't let that be us. Mm, yeah. Please let us, when you're standing three feet from us, calling dead people to life, please let us don't critique how you're doing it because you're not doing yeah. it right. So true. It is crazy, man. I mean, you'll see you'll see a move of God. Some people throw a party. Some people throw a fit. Mm. It's just some people go and tell it on a mountain, and some people go and tattle. It's the weirdest thing. In fact, there are especially oh my gosh, I'm just keenly aware of this because of what I do for a living. Mm-hmm. There are entire I don't even know what to call them. They call themselves ministries, and all they do is point out what everybody else has done wrong. Yeah, YouTube is full of this. It's, it's like all, a movement. All they do, man. And and the fact that they don't see any correlation between them and the tattletales in the Bible that don't believe, I, I don't understand yeah. how they don't make the correlation. One of the things that always strikes me about this is both Lazarus and me need help taking off the grave clothes. Mm. Tell us more. He can't do it by himself. Jesus tells them, unbind him. So Charles and I have talked a lot about how important it is to have good biblical fellowship in your life. And if you're Baptist, fellowship is not the Greek word for a hall where casseroles are consumed. <laughs> fellowship means like life on life. There's some, there's some grave clothes, man, that I still have on. I believe some lies, you know, and a part of God's grace in my life, as we work on this stuff together, there's a lot of iron sharpening iron. There's a lot of praying for one another, you know. Um, on the parenting front, Charles has been there. He's got more experience than I do. There's a bunch of times where either he has to point out a blind spot in me, which is like, hey, I'm being unbound and set free there, or remind me of a truth that I know I just need to be reminded of. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes, you know what, it's just not even confessing a sin, which I'm happy to do because I got a long list to choose from, but just like saying some things out loud that that are, are some internal angsts mm-hmm. and just having somebody... They're going to be all judgy about that, but just just say, yeah, that's neat. I hear that, so we're going to take that off because mm-hmm. that doesn't fit you anymore. Yeah, you know, really Very similar to the mat. Hey, hey, get up. Why are you laying on a crippled man's mat, bro? You can walk. Mm-hmm. Start acting like it. Yeah. All right, so to bring it back to Dr. Osher, and you mentioned this, he calls what he's living, he calls this his Lazarus moment living on borrowed time. He even told me, and this didn't make it into the digital experience, but he told me that he has a friend, talk about good friends, who texts him every morning and will say day 146. And it's however many days over his, whatever he was given to live. I think he was given two years. And so he's on day, I mean, now he's probably in, that, that was a few months ago, but, and so this friend texts him every day and he says, it's such a reminder that I live today for the Lord. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. And so why is that? And and he compares it to Lazarus, like you said, that Lazarus got a second chance at life and got to keep living. And we don't really necessarily know, but surely Lazarus lived every day. Like, I'm going to tell everyone about Jesus. And Well, next week we're going to talk about the party you went to yeah. like right after, right? So, you know, um, 
You know, it's sort of similar. I mean, we just take so many blessings from God for granted, right? So it's so sad when we wait till somebody's dead to tell them all the nice things about them, you know, so don't do that. It's also sometimes it takes a, a near tragedy in somebody's life or a tragedy to wake them up mm-hmm. to the brevity and preciousness of life, mm. to appreciate it. So I want to be the kind of person that doesn't need that tragedy or near tragedy Amen. to tune my eyes into the the blessing that today is, man. Mm. The empty tomb and your alarm clock are empirical evidence that God's not done with you. That's right. That he's not. And so may we make the most of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. This has been... So good and such a good miracle to remind us that God is in the business of doing the impossible. He really is. And we see it in Lazarus's life and we see it around us today. And it's encouraging for people to continue praying towards for God to roll that stone away. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for your word, that your word shows us so much about your love and about your character. And God, I pray for the people listening right now who they're just living in the tomb. And I pray that you would roll that stone away, that you would call their name. I pray that they would hear their name called by you. And God, I pray that for the people who are walking around with their grave clothes still on, would you put some people in their life that can help drive them more towards you, drive them more towards the abundant free life that they can have in you. And God, I just pray that we would study your word knowing that anytime we read it, you can bring it to life for us and you can teach us something new and teach us something fresh. And I pray that that happened today as we unpacked this for anybody listening and anybody a part of it. We love you. We're so grateful to be in your presence. It's in your great name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. (laughs) The end. You nailed it. (laughs) 